Good morning, Ebby. I hope everyone is well. I hope you are enjoying your summer holidays. Um, <clears throat> as you watch this, I should be hopefully on a campsite with the Kinnisley family and the Forest family. So um, we may well be gathered around a small phone watching this service. Um, who knows? But I hope that everyone is well. And that the summer is treating you, um, yeah, treating you well, and everyone's had a chance to get away and maybe get a bit of a change of scenery after an odd few months. I'm going to be talking this morning um, about faith as resistance, an interesting, um, an interesting topic that Esther um, presented me with uh, about a month or so ago, and I find it fascinating. I love the idea of our faith motivating us to to resist and to resist injustice and unfairness but i wonder whether you consider yourself someone who is an activist or someone who who resists um you know injustice and things that are wrong maybe those words activism resistance maybe they seem a little bit too radical um it might be the kind of thing that conjure up images of of civil disobedience or um, or even riots, things that you may not feel comfortable with, and that's completely understandable. But I'd like to take a moment to begin just by asking a couple of questions. When you see on the news pictures of um, of of families in the sea, essentially trying to keep their children alive because they're trying to reach dry land after fleeing a, a, a war-torn country and you see a picture of someone just holding their baby's head above water um, does that provoke a reaction in you when you read a story about a young man who works for the NHS worked at Southmead Hospital just up the road from my house here young black man on his way home after his shift attacked run over intentionally and as he was being attacked racial slurs thrown at him and he was lucky to leave with his life and he has now what could potentially be life changing injuries when you saw the I'm sure we saw the pictures or you have read the story about the incident when you when you heard about that did that provoke a reaction in you when you hear about young women afraid to go out late at night because of what might happen to them, does that provoke a reaction in you? When you hear of children in our community, in Lockleys, in Hawfield, who aren't getting enough food, because their parents don't have enough money to buy enough food to feed them. Does that provoke a reaction in you? When you hear about elderly people in our community so isolated that you know one phone call a week is, is what's keeping them alive. Does that provoke a reaction in you? <laughs> Could go on and on, but I'm sure that these things do. 
And even if none of the things I've mentioned provoke a reaction in you, I'm sure there's something that does. I'm sure there's an element of unfairness in our society that makes you go, that's not okay. And that provokes some kind of reaction in you. And so I would suggest that you are an activist. And that you, you do believe in resistance. Resistance to these things that aren't fair. That shouldn't happen in a civilised society. And I think that's a biblical reaction. I think it's completely justified. A few weeks ago, Esther was speaking to us. And she spoke about how God created man and woman is in his image. All creation is created in the image of God. And so I would suggest that when we resist persecution for any reason, be it someone's race, their age, their gender, their class, their job, where they live, their religion, we are resisting them being denied their God given right to be his image bearers see god created us all in his image everyone no mistakes we were all created in the image of god and so we're standing up for people's right their right to proudly be the image of god now when people are told they're not valuable because of their race or their gender or their sexuality. They are being told they're not made in the image of God. And so our faith motivates us to resist that. It's because God has put a desire in us to protect that innate fairness. That everyone is made in the image of God. And God created us all in his image. And so faith as a resistance motivates us to stand up against unfairness when we see someone being treated poorly our faith motivates us to do something about it and there are loads of biblical examples of this um, James chapter 1 says this those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so there we're, we, we, we can read that, can't we? That James is there writing to the 12 tribes and he's saying that for your religion to be pure and to be accepted by God, you must consider the orphans, the widows, the people at the time that were you know, the lowest of the low, the least considered people. Even then, God is saying that, no, they need to be treated well. They need to be treated fairly. And then we can also read in Acts, um, Acts 6, talking about um, widows being overlooked in daily food distribution. And it says this. In those days, when the numbers of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the early church then organises itself 
in such a way that ensures that no one is, is, is left without, that those widows aren't being overlooked, that they are being treated fairly. At the very beginning of Acts, in Acts 2, when the early church is forming, we read about the fellowship of believers and how everyone had what they needed. It says in Acts 2, it says this here, where are we? Acts 2, 42 to 46, the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's something so attractive about a community that treats people fairly and ensures that no one goes without. Within our own community at Ebi, within our church family, we have people whose faith has motivated them to resist, to resist food poverty, to resist, to resist addiction, to resist prejudice. Andy Kinnisley manages the Wild Goose Cafe and his faith means that he ensures that people trapped in addiction are fed and listened to and given help and able to access the services that they need, that their humanity is respected, that their image of God is respected. Stu and Esther, Rachel, Matt, Crispin, loads of others are involved in the North Bristol Food Bank. And their faith has meant that no one in Bristol goes hungry. They've worked so hard, particularly over lockdown, to ensure that the people of Bristol are continuously fed. And regardless of their story, regardless of their situation, no one is going hungry. I was fortunate enough to do a just to do one little kind of shift with um with the food bank a few weeks ago and I just delivered a few parcels and I was completely kind of blown away by um by the operation by seeing it happen but also just by seeing um the the life that some people are trapped in and how difficult that is and how unfair it seems that there are people living in 2020 in our community in such a way and and what that did for the team at the food bank was said to them no no that's not okay and something needs to needs to change and so they are continuously doing that work Rachel and Pete B work with refugees and asylum seekers incredible work that they do that has meant that people who are in, in some of the most desperate situations are able to access, again, the services, the help, the fellowship that they need. 
Rachel and Pete have opened their home for people to come and live with them so they have somewhere to be safe, somewhere to call home. I'm sure a lot of us were at Rachel, were at their wedding. Um, and I was overwhelmed by, by that wedding. I thought it was a beautiful day, but, but also um, I think for me, the most, the most amazing thing about that wedding was, was just seeing the, you know, the, the huge amount of, um, of respect and love that is in that community for Rachel and for Pete now as well because of the way that their faith has motivated them to say no these people who are like I said in the most desperate situations these people are important they are loved they are made in the image of God and they deserve this um, you know they, they deserve to be treated fairly Last week we heard from Sarah North, who is working for Sari, an amazing organisation in Bristol, standing up against racial injustice. Amazing organisation. I've done some training with them. What they do for, for people in this city is absolutely incredible. And her faith, as we heard, you know, Sarah's faith motivates her to be right there on the front line of this work, ensuring people are treated fairly when so often, because of their race, they are not. And so Sarah's there, part of a huge team, well not a huge team, a small team, doing huge things, ensuring that, that people that need it get that service and get that help, and that they are treated fairly. And what I love so much about these examples, and what we've read in the Bible, is that things are being done. They're just being done. We're seeing a problem and there's a solution and it's being done. We're not spending ages talking about it and apportioning blame and trying to justify unfairness or blaming the victims. Our faith has prodded us to see a problem and now we're working to create a solution. So often we hear detractors, don't we? The food bank is a good example. You don't have to look far to find... People who say things like, well, if people just worked a little bit harder or, or, you know, were a little bit more sensible with their money or learnt to budget, they wouldn't need to use the food bank. Or with the Black Lives Matter movement. Huge movement that is still happening in our city and across the world. But people responded to that, didn't they? Well, if only they protested in a way that I felt was acceptable. Or when a woman is assaulted and you hear someone say something like, well, what was she wearing? Why was she out late at night? It's kind of what about-ism. What about this? What about that? What about me? Why is this a problem? Why? It's toxic. It's really, really toxic. And it's the complete opposite to what we see in the Bible. What we see in the Bible is unfairness is called out and a solution is found. Because what God says to us in the Bible is that he loves justice, he loves mercy, he loves fairness. And the truth is that all people deserve to have their daily needs met. And it doesn't matter how they got into the situation where those needs aren't being met. Well, it does matter actually, you know, it does matter. It matters because there's probably a deep-rooted reason why they're in that situation 
but it shouldn't stop their needs being met first and foremost. And so I know the team at the food bank work incredibly hard at looking at the, you know, the causes of food poverty. I know Andy and his team work hard looking at the causes of addiction and what changes can we put in place as a society to meet those things. I know that you know, in my own work, working with young people, a lot of what we do is looking at what are the causes of young people being involved in crime and antisocial behaviour. And what can we do to stop that at the earliest possible point? But what this doesn't do is it doesn't stop that day-to-day work where people's needs are being met. And that is the most important thing. That on a day-to-day basis, people aren't going without. And that's what our faith motivates us to do. Our faith motivates us to resist this unfairness. And our faith is littered with people whose own faith has motivated them to incredible acts of resistance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and a theologian who stood up against the Nazi party. Said it's not right what they are doing and what they have planned. And was eventually arrested and hung for his role in the plot to assassinate Hitler. He saw something that wasn't right. His faith prompted him to stand up and say, this is not okay. Rosa Parks, I'm sure you all know the story of Rosa Parks, most commonly known for refusing to give up her seat on a bus during segregation in the United States. She'd been out all day, she was tired, and a white man got on the bus and told her, you have to let me sit there. And she said, nope. And she said in her book, A Quiet Strength. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. God did away with all my fear. It was time for someone to stand up or in my case, sit down. I refused to move. Her faith motivated her to say this is not fair. And that kick-started a massive part of the civil rights movement. Shane Claiborne is a man who is active now, a pastor in Philadelphia in the United States, who is doing everything possible to try and combat um, deaths by shooting. And he is... He is kind of flying in the face of, of, of an increasingly right-wing rhetoric in, in American Christianity. And he's taken on the National Rifle Association, the Republican Party, in saying that actually we need gun control. We need to stop. We need some, something needs to be done to stop you know, the hundreds, if not thousands of people who are murdered in the United States every year. And so he is heading up, a, he heads up a, a movement called um, Beating Guns into, into Plows, into Plow Tools. So they, they do amnesties where people can, can give in their guns and they, um, they, they melt them down and they beat them into, into, um, so that they can be used as garden tools 
to enable people to grow their own food and to create life rather than take it. Susan B. Anthony, a woman who was born into a Quaker family and dedicated her life to women's suffragage and the, abol and the ab uh, abolition of slavery. And she is quoted as saying that she knew it would take the religious and the irreligious to change society at the time. And so she worked for her whole life for women's rights and to end slavery. Again, motivated by faith to look at these things and say, they're not fair, I'm going to change them. And finally, someone who we've all seen speak at Ebby, Patrick Reagan. Patrick is a great man. Um, Patrick started, so Patrick now runs um, the Kansugi course. But before that, Patrick um, started a, a youth charity called XLP in Peckham, South East London, working with some of the most violent young people in the country, in some of the most dangerous estates in the country. And he started this because he was motivated by his faith to, to, to do something about the amount of young people in our city's capital who were being murdered every year due to knife crime. And at one point, I'm sure Patrick's told this story at Ebby, but at one point he was being interviewed and Boris Johnson was there before he was Prime Minister. And Boris Johnson said to Patrick before the interview was due to go live on TV, some young people are hopeless, aren't they? And Boris Johnson, and, and sorry, and Patrick Regan, when the when the camera started rolling, said, I refuse to believe that any young person is beyond hope. Or something to that effect. I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but it was something very powerful and something like that. And that is because Patrick looked at the young people of London, looked at how many of them were dying every year, and his faith motivated him to say, no, that's not fair. That's not right. There's something going on here, and we need to step in. And he started this organisation, and has no doubt saved hundreds of lives of young people in our city, in our capital city. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, we read, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In Isaiah 1, 17, we read, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And one of my favourite verses is in Matthew 25 and it's the story of the sheep and the goats and this is what Jesus says to us about the way we treat people when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, we, when did we do these things? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or see you hungry and feed you? Or see you needing clothes and clothe you? When did we visit you in prison? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. A direct challenge, I believe, about how we treat those in our community who are in need. Father God, thank you for when our faith motivates us to resist unfairness. Thank you for when you make us uncomfortable with the ways of the world. Thank you that we have so many examples of people who love you and love justice, and love seeing fairness. Please help us all to be aware of you speaking to us, and pointing out unfairness. And Father, give us the wisdom to know how to make things right. Amen.